1: Yes, hello again, everyone. Welcome back to none but the Brave a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy Flynn McLean. and Flynn. we're gonna get to our fantastic new archive, but we've also got a really big guest tonight.
0: yes, we do. Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports and the Athletic is he's joining us to, to talk about no nukes uh, no nukes release, and it was actually it was actually his first show, so he has a lot of very clear memories of the night, and uh, I think people will enjoy hearing uh, hearing his stories and his experiences.
1: Yeah, I, I think they will, and it's great to have Ken on the show. I, I'm a follower from the Athletic, and of course through the Fox MLB coverage. We won't talk too much about the lockout because hopefully that's going to be resolved.
0: <laughs> and this isn't this is not a baseball podcast.
1: That's true. <laughs> it's Although a you know, podcast. We, we could move into that direction.
0: I think there are a lot of baseball podcasts out there, and uh, you know we 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 have our topic, and we'll yes. we'll stay we'll we'll stay on our lane to use the common vernacular. Of the
1: All day. right, we'll stick with Mr. Springsteen, <laughs> and in that regard, let's move on to the archive release, uh, CW Post, December twelfth, nineteen seventy-five, and you had predicted perhaps that CW Post would be the release. And, well, we uh, go ahead.
0: Well, we we were due for a Born to Run show, and we've been. We've been guessing that the holiday release was going to be this show eventually, as it is the show from which the the single version of Santa Claus that gets played on the radio every year is from. So, you know, a broken, uh, broken clock is going to be right at some point.
1: Now, I have an admission to make, and and we did discuss this off the air. I was looking for something a little bit more recent. You had also mentioned the Cleveland Born to Run show from the Working on a Dream Tour, and... I was really hoping we'd maybe get that back in your arms. That's still a possibility at some point, I would think, in the future. But we'd had a, a several classic era shows recently. Of course, the No Nukes, which we're going to be discussing with Ken. And we also had the Coliseum 122880. And, and I thought maybe they would just go for a little variety to something more recent. And as we've discussed before, a lot of these classic era shows, the set lists are very similar and I was just looking for something maybe a little bit different. And uh, and man, <laughs> that was a wrong thing to think because <laughs> now that we have this one in our hands, and, and this is a show that was pretty fresh to me. I don't recall ever listening to it straight through. W- was there a decent bootleg of this show? There
0: was a decent bootleg, yes. Um, a couple of guys uh, did a lot of taping in the in the tri-state area back in the in the mid-70s, and, and I think one, at least one, if not both of them, got this show, and so it's it's been around a bit. Not one of the better ones, not one of their better ones from the era, but it certainly has been around.
1: Well, the archive is a revelation. I, I was knocked out how good this show is. We've heard the Hammersmith. We've, of course, heard the Roxy from Seven... Both Hammersmiths, you are correct. It's, and then we've heard the Roxy, and we have the Tower Theater. This one, to me, it, it tops them... All. And I know that's a big statement to make, especially in regard to the second Hammersmith show. Eric made a really good point. Our buddy Eric Flanagan, who writes the release notes for Nugs, he pointed out that at both the Roxy and especially at the second Hammersmith show, because we know that Bruce was extremely unhappy with the first Hammersmith show, that those were shows really where he he was looking to prove himself. The Roxy was played before somewhat of an industry audience, and it was in L.A., This is a show in the heart of his territory on Long Island. As Ken is going to discuss, who grew up on Long Island? I grew up on Long Island. Bruce was big from the word go. And of course, it was close to Jersey, close to Manhattan. You had that audience there. And and as Eric points out, this is really a show for the diehards. And not only today, but I, I, I think even at the time. And man, as I said, it's a revelation.
0: It is a, a tremendous recording, a, tr- a tremendous show. It's interesting you say that about for the diehards. He, to me, Bruce is just more relaxed at this show. I, the the is pretty much, I think, with like two exceptions, is is very is, is the same as, as that first Hammersmith show they released as part of the Born to Run box. And but he is just so relaxed in front of, in front of a, a basically, as you said, a, a home crowd. And he and it 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 shows in the performance. There's no, you can't hear any nervousness. He's he's there. He's interacting with the crowd. He's jumping in. He's you know playing songs for the girls at Roy Rogers. It's just yeah. It's just fun.
1: It just crackles from the first moment. Uh, Thunder Road and 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 then you do go through a run of songs as you point out. Certainly we, were played regularly in that era. And then there's a moment that Eric describes and uh, because Max has spoken about it. Max was once asked, have you ever been on stage with Bruce where he just started playing a song that the band had never played before? And he actually answered, yeah, there was a show in 1975, the first time we played It's My Life. That happened. We had no idea. We had never rehearsed it. And that is the show. And hearing that moment... You do definitely get that the band is tentative and and feeling its way into the song, but this is a magical moment. One of the best moments I think that the archive series has captured. It, it, it seems like the story is true. You would you would agree it's it, the story is likely true, right? Most likely, yes. Now this is of course a song that they did go on to play regularly in the couple of years that would follow. I think you can make the argument this is the best version of the song that we've ever heard.
0: Well, it's certainly the most fresh. And I I think some of the later versions in 76 and and early 77 where he talks about his dad, they kind of, they add some emotional heft, but I think without it, it's a little bit more streamlined and it just comes across as a little bit tighter in, in, in that respect. And as Eric said, you know, they were a little tentative at first and you said it a little tentative at first but then they really sink their teeth into it about halfway through the song and they really they own it from that from that moment on
1: yeah it's as I said it's it's a magical moment and from there the show just really takes off it it's like the band itself got fired up there there are versions here it's followed by hard to be a saint in the city. And, and that is like, <laughs> I, I, I know I use this with the No Nukes where I said it was like he was shot out of a cannon. And this is like, it's like jet propulsion. <laughs> well, I, I think,
0: I think the guitar duel between Steve and Bruce at the end is just, is just fantastic. Uh, uh, Steve uh, is, Steve is fantastic all over the show, period. Um, adding a little bit, adding some flares and a really, he's on at this show and he's, it's right in your right, in your right headphone. In the right channel and it's he had so much.
1: I also thought the kiddies back, the oh, yeah. the extended instrumental was it, it was fantastic. And and it definitely had some moments in it that I don't recall, certainly not from later versions, but even in 75, I think there were some unique instrumental parts that they mm-hmm. went into and 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 they were jamming. It went on for like 18 minutes. Just <laughs> an amazing listen.
0: Well yeah and I think that Danny is just grooving. Just grooving throughout the throughout the song, and there's a there's I think the instrumental section goes on for like ten minutes. I mean, yeah. there's no Bruce vocals for ten minutes. How, when does that in I had an East Street show, and or at any Bruce show, and but he and but uh, Danny and, and Roy's in there, and Clarence. I mean, they're all just playing so fantastically well on this one. They they really reached a some kind of groove in there that I don't remember hearing. And 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 I'm not a big Kitty's back fan either. So for me to to really want to listen to this one repeatedly is is actually makes it a pretty notable version.
1: And that was followed by Jungle Land, which always has just tremendous force. And in later years, there were 81, 84, Bruce would stand on the piano and thrust his fist in the air. And it was just this amazing scene in the arena. I don't recall hearing an early version of Jungle Land that, that had this level of power.
0: Do you? It's one of these things where I think just about all of them had it. It's just that this recording is so good that it's just so obvious. There's no, it's not lost anywhere between the the performance or the speakers and the uh, and 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 your ears. It's with those audience recordings, they're they're great in a lot of ways, but they don't always capture the the true force of of this song.
1: And there's something at the end that during the whales did you hear it? Uh, I'm pretty well, sure it's there. Bruce yells, stop, stop. I, at first, I couldn't tell if something was happening in the audience, but it appears to be part of the performance. I don't think it, it's relating to anything going on in the crowd. Uh,
0: that's a good question. You, you mentioned this to me uh, the other day. And and so then when I was listening to it, I'm like, yeah, there there it is. And I have no idea what it's there and what he was doing or what he was trying to say. But To be honest, I haven't gone back and listened to other versions, other performances of the song from December or or November recently. So I don't know if that's a one off or that's something he was doing or, or or as you said, something was going on in the crowd.
1: Of course, the encores were were top notch at this show and highlighted by the Santa Claus, which was released. How long ago was it released? It must be almost 40 years ago now. Well, it was released shortly after the show originally to the radio, right?
0: Yes. In the in the Backstreet's piece on the show, the Michael Pell said that the reason they recorded the show was to get Santa Claus out there as as soon as possible. And and they did. So I guess they had a version or they sent out a tape out to radio uh, within days of the show. And that's how it started. But then it was originally it was first released commercially on In Harmony 2, I believe, which came out in 80 or 81.
1: And then, of course, it was the B side to my hometown.
0: Exactly, so, and it's played every year.
1: <laughs> it really interesting to hear the complete version in the context of the show. As Eric noted, the band responses are mixed a little bit higher here. So when Bruce says, uh, it's Christmas, you know, they, they're all, you hear them more. You hear Clarence. Uh, Steve. You hear Steve, yes. And it's it's just fun to have. And, and and the rest of the show, the other song that really stood out to me was Shalala. That's a song, and I know it's been released previously in the archive series. I, I don't know. I guess by the time I got to the end of the show, I was just sort of so stunned by how <laughs> great it was. It, that one really registered on me too.
0: All right. Well, I want to go back to Santa really quick. Mm-hmm. I I feel like the um, the version that at least has been played on radio every year for the last forty some odd years is a little bit edited. I think some of the Bruce band interplay was was removed from from the from that version. So. You get there's actually some extra material in there.
1: Oh, that makes sense, and and you would understand that it would be edited for radio. So of course, uh, great to have it complete here.
0: And I think it's a great Detroit medley here with the way that they kind of break it all down, and and starting with uh, with just him, and then he brings in brings in Roy, brings in uh, brings in Max, and the way they kind of build it up. And I love it when they when they do that, and that was they did that on the. Performance of Carol from the Roxy that was released a couple years ago. And it's a love hear- hearing it again here.
1: This is just a top notch listen from beginning to end. The quarter to three is smoking hot. <laughs> and let's also talk about the sound because the, when I first put it on, and I did immediately compare it to the second Hammersmith, which I believe was the last Born Throne show released in the archive series, correct? Yes. This one sounds significantly better to me. I, I don't know why. It, it, this the sound on this is crystal clear. The separation to the instruments and, as you noted, to the voices. I'm not sure why that would be the case, but it, this is it's as, certainly as good a sounding show as we've heard, with the exception of maybe the Clear Mountain mix from <laughs> Passaic.
0: Right. Oh, and the sound quality is absolutely amazing. To me, the instrument separation is so perfect. Hearing Danny so clearly in the left channel, and Clarence, you just a little bit more towards the center f- from Danny, and then hearing Steve in the right. They've the balance was just perfect, and I I, I don't compare compare the releases that way. I, I I focus on each release as it comes out, and unfortunately or sadly, I, I don't I don't revisit a lot of them to be honest, but. This one, yeah, the sound quality,
1: <laughs>
0: it's amazing.
1: I had actually listened to the second Hammersmith show quite a bit because that really also is a spectacular show. And, and I, I can say for sure this one is going to get repeat listenings for me because it, it, it's just that good. I, I, this will probably be my go-to 75 show.
0: All right. That sounds sounds good. I mean, right now I'm, I'm loving it. Listen to it twice while exercising and driving in the car and
2: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland
1: is, is a rock
2: and roll city
1: for sure.
0: The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles: The Wrath of the Buzzard. P r o h Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.
1: All right. So from one classic show, this one in 1975. Now we're going to go to No Nukes. And with that, Flynn, would you like to introduce our guest?
0: Our guest tonight uh, is Ken Rosenthal, a two-time Sports Emmy Award winner, and he's a reporter and insider for Fox Sports Major League Baseball coverage. Any senior baseball writer for the Athletic, Uh, Ken Rosenthal. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, guys. Great to be here.
0: Oh, great to talk
2: about.
1: (laughs) This is very exciting for us.
2: Yes,
0: we're uh, we're, (laughs) good. Well, we're still riding the wave of no nukes, and um, you're—I mean—you're a big Bruce fan. I I remember I met you in '99 at at the Meadowlands and outside, I think DC, and, and on the Magic Tour and. Turns out, No Noose was was your very first show.
2: It was, and it's still very memorable to me. I was just turning 17 years old. I just turned 17 the week before. And it was a situation where I grew up on Long Island, North Shore, Long Island, Oyster Bay High School. And if I recall right, the tickets were something like $35, which at the time was an exorbitant amount. And <laughs> in my high school, it was a Grateful Dead high school. I, I mean... My high school was all deadheads. I was the one guy, like Bruce, and I had a hard time finding people to go with me. So, really, I, I had three tickets. Yeah, it, I finally ended up with two guys that were not my best friends, more like acquaintances, and we all went together. We took a while and railroaded in. And the other thing I remember, just getting the tickets, even then, it was the craziness <laughs> that exists now. Of course, much different, and. I believe the No Nukes series had five shows, mm-hmm. only two of which Bruce was in. Bruce was in the last two. It was, I think, a Friday and Saturday night. The first one sold out, like, as always back then, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it was. And then the second one, I was working in the city for actually the New York Cosmos soccer team. Oh, and wow. I was, working, I was working in their ticket office. It was like a summer job. Everybody in there was Bruce fan. All from New Jersey. These people were all, I don't know, 30s, early 30s. They all love Bruce and came on the radio that another show was going on sale uh, for Bruce headlining. And my boss, money in my hands, he knew how much I love Bruce. He said, go down to the garden, get some tickets for yourself. And it was a few subway stops away. I ran down there, still ended up in the boondocks and it didn't <laughs> matter to me. I had, I knew of Bruce quite well. I, you know, I, for a couple of years, I've been a fan. The year before, on my birthday, September 19th, 1978, the legendary... Capital Theater Show. I listened to it live on the radio in my bedroom. So this was a big night. And of course, they announced that Bruce was only playing an hour and a half. There was none of this three, three and a half hour stuff. It was the end of the show. It were all these acts before Tom Petty, Chaka Khan, Jackson Brown, Carly Simon and James Taylor. But I would say, I don't know, 80, 90 percent of the crowd was
1: there to see Bruce. That little. huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe more what was it like when you got there that night this is your first show it's and i grew up on long island i went to Herricks high school it was a few years later but i know the excitement the first time i stepped in the arena to see bruce what was it like now you were finally getting to see bruce and you had to wait because there was a lengthy bill before him great performers but still as many other people that you were just geared up for bruce
2: well remember back then two guys there was no internet there were really very few bootlegs. There was no video. So obviously he was a great live performer because I had heard that show on WNEW. But you knew of the legend, but it was word of mouth. I did not really get the chance to see him other than in person. So I had not seen him, but I knew it was going to be special and clearly it turned out to be. I wasn't aware necessarily that he hadn't played in a year. I don't even know that I was very tuned into the 78 tour. I didn't go. Um, so, again, this was my first shot. And, yeah, the build up was incredible and made more incredible by the fact you had to sit there and wait, enjoy the other acts, but it was all a privilege.
0: Okay, so you were there on the second night. Were you aware that the next day was, was his birthday?
2: I was aware because during the show he talked about it. I not know that I was that big a fan to know that it was his birthday then. So... It was kind of cool because my birthday's three days before that. <laughs> I had just celebrated my 17th birthday, and here he was turning 30, which to me did seem old. He joked about it all during the show. I'm a freaking old man now, you know. So, and later, Flynn, I think we were both at this show 20 years later on his 50th birthday, Philadelphia Spectrum. Yes. I uh, happened to be at that show, too. The oh, wow. shows are always special. Yeah. So
1: I, was, I unfortunately missed that
2: better. one.
0: Were you were you there for at the MetLife Stadium when he turned whatever it was, or was that too too smack in the middle of baseball at, at the baseball uh, playoff
2: run? I believe it was too smack in the middle of the baseball playoff run. I saw one of the great long shows at MetLife in '16, I think, right at the okay. end of August. Okay, it was amazing, but not the birthday show.
0: Okay, well, you, you seemed to have you had a good run with birthday shows. I, I had to ask that. Yeah. I had I had to see if you were continuing that that run there.
2: Oh yeah, it was. I mean. Clearly, he has some kind of special feel on his birthday. There's something special. Listen, there's always something special. <laughs> shows. That's true. Every <laughs> one of them. But the birthday, there's an added element. So, yeah, that was part of it, no doubt. That's true.
0: What do you remember from, from the actual show itself once, once things got rolling?
2: I remember vividly the first three songs were from Darkness. And again, at that time, Darkness was the most recent album. So that was something I remember. I remember the river being a new song. I remember quarter to three. I actually have very vivid memories of all this. And I also home that night on the train and guys, I don't need to tell you, I don't need to tell anybody listening. It's just electrifying. And I was electrified. I don't know that I slept a whole night. <laughs> and I don't know that it's being too dramatic to say it changed my life because It opened my eyes to a whole other way of music and live performance, and it was just a thrilling thing. I couldn't believe it. Now, what's interesting to me all these years later is those shows are considered legendary or at least called legendary in the packaging. My understanding as a fan was that the 78 shows were more legendary. I saw some shows that I thought were legendary. I didn't know that these shows were considered in that way, but my gosh, you look at the film now you watch it and it's as you guys said in your previous podcast it's like he was shot out of a cannon that is a <laughs> great description and because i think it was abbreviated compared to the usual show there was maybe a heightened level of energy and of course they hadn't played in a while too that was all part of it and also i remember later the movie came out and i made my dad drag me into manhattan <laughs> it was playing in like one theater
1: oh really and that really, was it
2: yeah, I don't remember being Yeah, that's anymore. not something
1: that would have gotten a wide release. Yeah. Oh, okay, I mean, All right.
2: Movie with Thunder Road, Quarter 3 in the River, not in that order, that <laughs> was something to see, too. It was unbelievable. And my dad would tease me. he tease me. He goes, this guy, he's a cult. He's a cult following. And back then, it sort of was. But
1: <laughs> yeah, then he became
2: five years, the biggest act in the world. So... I would joke back with my dad. Uh, is it still a cult? You think it's still a cult? Is it in <laughs> Eighty thousand stadium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, yeah, it was kind of, I don't know, not a secret. And certainly, he was big in this area, but it it wasn't like what it became, obviously. Right.
0: Okay.
1: Well, you should have grown up a few years later when when I would tr- tell my parents I was going down to the pony. I was I was. I was underage the first time I went to the pony. I was with my buddy Roger, and we would go down there. My parents were like, "You're going down to the Jersey Shore and staying out till two <laughs> o'clock in the morning, and this guy's not going to show up, and 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 all that stuff." And one night he did show up, and it was it was pretty damn good. I'm sure it
2: was, man.
0: <laughs> well, if you had said you took the Long Island Railroad in, so the show the show didn't end till like one fifteen, right? Yeah. And so and- so what time did you get home?
2: Like three. Trains <laughs> were running. I remember that it was not a problem. Now, I don't remember who picked me up. I, well, some parent had to pick me up. was <laughs> driving back then. I don't recall how that all went down. Maybe I took it. My parents were split. My dad lived in Queens. Maybe I went to Queens. I don't remember that. But yeah, it was late. But I, again, I remember sitting on that train and it was like my eyes were popping out of my head. It, it was just the craziest feeling because you just witnessed something. It, it was. Everything you wanted rock to be, in my view. And I liked the other bands. I liked some of the other bands on the No Nukes build. In fact, I had gone to one of the previous shows, but it, it wasn't the same. And it's never been the same, right? It Bruce is one, he's here, everyone else is there. There are other great acts. Pearl Jam, I love fighters, love I, a lot of great live bands, but it, it,
1: come on, there's only one.
0: All right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. We agree. We
1: agree. I know you guys agree. So, so what was it like now? You're in the arena, and he counts down at the Prove It All Night, and it's, it seems like you have a very good memory of it. What do you remember in that just first electrifying moment?
2: Well, just that here it was, and I finally was seeing him, and it seemed like an eternity to me to wait not just for the show to begin, but just to see him in general, because I had been a fan for some time at that point. Now, also I remember... Time, but maybe this kind of thing still happens. But there was a guy behind me; he was overly intoxicated. He puked in oh. my friend's jacket. That was the whole thing. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was a concert in the seventies, man. Stuff <laughs> <So laughs> happened. And the other thing that I remember vividly is the crowd. And I've been to concerts, and obviously, the concert scene is always exciting. But this was a level of excitement unlike anything I had seen. And by quarter to three, if not at times before, it was bedlam in there. And the film kind of captures it. You can kind of see it, but I had never experienced anything like that. And with Quarter to Three, this was true in, of course, subsequent shows as well. You got the feeling this was never going to end, <laughs> and I loved it. I, was, I didn't want it to end, and it was just – it's one in the morning. The place is going crazy, and it was just a unique scene, no doubt.
0: All right. Now, you, you had mentioned you saw – you had seen another show, another uh, No Nuke show that week. Was it just dead? I mean, what was the what was the difference? Could, could you really feel the difference in the crowd anticipation?
2: Yes, it's a, there's a Bruce crowd and there was other crowd, and I remember seeing in the movie, the No Nukes movie, the first No Nukes movie, the okay. original Chaka Khan was crying because she thought they were booing her, and actually well, they were just calling for Bruce, you know, Bruce Chance, and. The rest of it, the other show, I think it was Doobie Brothers headlining, I can't recall exactly, but Jackson Brown and guys like that, they weren't electrifying performers. They were good performers, and they were quite enjoyable to see, but it wasn't the same. And Tom Petty wasn't Tom Petty then. He was getting there, but he wasn't at the level that he became. So, it was a total difference in what we saw from Bruce at the excitement level than anybody else.
1: Okay. All right. Tom it also makes, had makes the immortal line when he was like, "They're booing me," and they're like, "Tom, they're booing," and he he said, "What's the difference?" <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: a good line. That is true. That is true. Now, you said you mentioned the river. Uh, it was a new song. Uh, you saw, I guess, if you were there the second night, you saw the second ever live performance of it. Do you remember your reaction to 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 that song in particular?
2: I just thought it was good. I don't remember having any strong reaction and obviously i think for most fans that's right up there that song we all have our own rankings and all of that but that that's a big song and we all know what it meant in the transition of him as a songwriter but i don't know that at 17 years old i was sophisticated enough to really get it i just liked it that was all i
1: think i remember there okay
2: all right yeah i wish i was more sophisticated but i wasn't I don't well, know who yeah. it was at 17
1: on now. Long Island. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, there's so, yeah, well, there's so much added. Not
1: even like we were city kids. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, that's
0: true. So when you the movie came out, uh, I guess it's about a month, month and a half ago now. Did it, ma- did it match? Did it measure up to your memories? Did it exceed it? What How? What was your, your feelings while you watched the film? Measured
2: up, if not exceeded. And I have three kids. They're 30. 29 just turned 29 and 26 just about 26 and i've seen bruce with two of the three and the third has seen bruce on her own and what has always bugged me a little bit is that as great as bruce is now and five years ago ten years ago there was nothing like that bruce the 70s late 70s bruce even mid 70s and we all know the darkness tour is considered the tour and this show, what the one we're talking about, these two shows were right at the apex as well. So my kids had never seen that guy. Now I would show them from the No Nukes movie on YouTube and all that, but it always bothered me. Like my son in particular, my son is 30, he's a huge rock fan. Jack White's his guy. And we went to see Bruce in the Spectrum another time, not the one we were talking about earlier, Flynn. And we were on the floor, and my son turns to me and goes, Dad. There's a bunch of old people here. I said, <laughs> I said, you're not wrong. You're about to see something you won't believe. And it's true. It was great a great, typical Bruce show. But energy is beyond what I remember. I mean, it's like the guy's on a pogo stick or something. And that it probably exceeded my memory of it. I remember it being quite electric and all of that. But watching it now, it's like, whoa, that was something else. <laughs>
1: All right. Yeah. They really did a good job of capturing it. And some of the as we were saying, some of the little issues with the film actually sort of bring that out because they had camera people down in the crowd where they couldn't really operate properly. But they so captured the crowd experience and what it was like to be there right in front of Bruce as he was playing like that on the cusp of his 30th birthday, it's really a remarkable thing to see. And, you know, I didn't experience Bruce until a couple of years later. Now, in the Born in the USA Tour, he was still, uh, it, it it was big. But it was not the same as the Darkness of the River Tour. I know that.
2: I remember the Born in the USA Tour as well. And Giant Stadium, I had tickets for multiple shows. And the last of those shows, I didn't go. Because to me, it had become a little bit more... Choreographed and predictable, and it wasn't what I had remembered. Now I'm not saying it was bad; it was still better than any other rock show. But it wasn't a show you needed to see three times in six nights. Right. So, again, those shows, those shows, the '78 tour, which we've seen now, we've seen different versions of that tour on video and through releases, audio-wise. It was a different level. And the other thing, guys, I don't know if you agree with me, but When we hear Thunder Road now in concert or in the last tour, it's more a celebration of our memories of Thunder Road, and it's played a little slower than it was used to. Than he used to play it back then, there was so much urgency with the way he performed each song. But Thunder Road was the one that stuck out to me. Stuck out to me. He had this urgency to him, and that was different. That was really special. And I don't want to say it's been lost. It's just different now. It's still great. But that, again, distinguished that era from what came
1: after that. Well, that reality is that that was all he had. The, the, yeah. He was playing for his life every night on stage, and certainly, thankfully for him, he, he doesn't do that anymore. He has
2: right. a wife and right. he has a
1: family, and he has a million things going on. And five, $500 million. <laughs> yes, $500 million. <laughs> And he had plenty already before that. So, you know, it, it, you can't capture that. And he and he has, of course, spoken about this very eloquently, especially in the book. He he his mind that was his life was consumed by it. And it was great for the fans. And and they did capture it here, as you know, because it, it really is a singular thing. It, it, you could say maybe Mick Jagger. Obviously, the Beatles at their peak, but they never l- performed live like that. It just wasn't something they did in the 60s. And uh, he, he it really is unique. And it's it's great that they captured it and we're able to see it now.
2: Absolutely. And it's funny, guys, when we post this podcast, I'll be happy to tweet out the link or whatever. So,
1: Thank you. And thank you. among
2: baseball writers of a certain age, <laughs> my age and a little bit younger, Bruce is the guy. The younger baseball writers think it's terrible. They think we're a joke. You know, he's grandpa or whatever. Well, well, they like what they like, and they respect Bruce, but it's they, they don't. It, they make fun of us. They can make fun of whatever they want. All you have to do is turn this film on, and they'll see what we're talking about. Why we all were so captivated and are so captivated by this guy. It's clear as freaking day, and i just always like getting into a banter with these guys and women oh bruise this bruise that like okay whatever take your japan droids and they're great and whatever but uh, we know we
1: know better
0: (laughs) all right well let me i want to ask one more question um obviously you've um you saw him in 80 on the usa tour now what about a a year later after no nukes he's he, he did four nights at the garden he did three nights at nassau coliseum i assume you attended some of those shows
2: I did attend shows on the tour, and the first was at the Garden right after Thanksgiving. It might have been the Friday night after Thanksgiving. Sat right behind the stage, and that was the first, the first full show I saw. That was okay. amazing. And I remember, too, back then, with <laughs> the tickets in a lottery. And I was at the University of Pennsylvania my freshman year, and they came in the mail in this little envelope. And that's how I found out I was going to the show. It's, like, it's not like now. The Coliseum, the end of the year, I don't remember exactly which show it was. It wasn't New Year's Eve, but it was one of the other ones. Didn't have tickets. Went with a friend of mine from school, hit the parking lot, thought we'd just do our best, see what we can get. And I remember we paid 35 We thought we were freaking broke forever. <laughs> and actually, at that point, we were. But <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was, it was a great show.
0: So how did those measure up, or how did they compare to no nukes? Besides the fact that it was, you know, over twice as long.
2: Similar type feeling. Now the only difference is the first one was novel. I, I had never seen him before. Yeah. So, but the garden, the garden was always special um, back then, especially. And it turns out those Coliseum shows now are quite legendary in their own right, and yeah, quite popular among collectors. The Coliseum was not the garden. Trust me. And how was this? It was not the garden. Yeah. So at the same time, those were very memorable shows. Santa Claus obviously was a difference than you hadn't seen before. And I remember show in the garden, the first of those two that I saw, he sang Sandy sitting on the edge of the stage. And he I, he had the lyrics in his hand, I believe. Oh wow, and I did not know that. It was it was pretty cool. And I remember also Jungle End, and this I had never seen anything like this before. He kind of led the crowd and everybody was pumping their fists right the of Clarence and, 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 Obviously, all these things were a big part of being a fan and and enjoying the shows.
1: So, And, Ken, what about later on? You mentioned going in 2016 with one of your kids, and we know, obviously, you're quite busy normally during baseball season. Have you been able to go to a bunch of shows during the reunion era? I don't exactly recall. It's probably been one show, two shows a tour.
2: It's not like Flynn, okay? (laughs) Or (laughs) Or half. Or 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 half. Come on. But I got one funny one was christian international in philadelphia oh i was there okay that was a great one and i was with my soon-to-be wife and i don't know if we were engaged or dating but she was there with one of her best friends i was there with one of my best friends and i had never been to a bruce show with her and after the show her friend said are you gonna marry that guy (laughs) (laughs) and we've been married 32 years and she's been to a number of shows with me as well and that was a funny memory but i've been I don't I don't have a count in my head. I don't remember exactly how many. My guess would be something like 50, but
1: I don't know. I don't know for sure. Oh, that's a lot. That's yeah. that's,
0: respect- that's respectable.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: well.
1: Okay. <laughs> it it is funny how you were saying so many of the baseball writers are Springsteen fans. Pete Abraham who we've known for yes. years. And- have,
0: have you and Pete like have you seen a show together maybe with even with Dave Shining.
2: I have seen a show with Shining. Okay. Uh, that's a unique experience. David Hill, Sean, and I went to a show. It was it Philly? Yeah, Lincoln Financial Field.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing, I, I met, I saw David um, David and, and both of them actually. I didn't see you after one of those shows. Yeah.
2: We were up close, really close. And Dave is a musician himself and a really good one, a songwriter. He plays, he releases albums. It's crazy to me. And he listens in a different way at a show. He kind of has his head cocked. And he's really listening intently, like in a, in a different way than the average fan. And I remember at that point, I think he was starting to get sick of it. Bruce, I don't know why. I can't remember exactly the reason, but he was like over it. And he has very eclectic taste. Great guy. One of the great guys ever. But he's the only one I think I've seen the show with. And David Hill, of course. Of course. Our, our,
1: mutual, our mutual friend. 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 Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah
0: thank you so much for, for joining us. This has been, this has been a real thrill for us and you know, yeah, we hope, we hope you had a good time.
2: Oh guys, total thrill for me. Oh. I, I do my own podcast. It's baseball. That's my job. This is my passion. I, I <laughs> greatly enjoyed. I enjoy listening to you
1: guys. All the best, man. We well, appreciate Thank you that. very much. And, and we just want to plug the athletic. I'm a subscriber. The athletic is unparalleled for sports coverage. And of course, everyone knows you're also on Fox sports, MLB coverage and, we look forward to hopefully being some coverage
0: hope to see you at a stadium.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you. Once again, that was Ken Rosenthal of Fox sports and the athletic <laughs> real treat for us to have him on. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we, we did not spend 15 or 20 minutes talking baseball on the air because <laughs> this is not a baseball podcast, but we would have loved to have spoken to him. Well, I could talk to Ken, and I know Flynn could, too, about baseball for several hours, but we stuck to Bruce.
0: <laughs> that is true, but it was great to hear his, his, the memories of being being 17 and, he, and seeing Bruce for the first time, especially at such a unique event, and obviously through the magic of, uh, of, of that great legendary No Nukes release, uh, we, all can, we all can see what he saw.
1: And we're going to have some more people who were lucky enough to witness the No Nukes shows coming up in future episodes, so stay tuned for that.
0: Yes, that's going to be fun. We always like to hear color from people who are actually there. Uh, It's one thing to experience it over recording or even even as seeing in a film. But to hear people who are actually there talk about it just brings brings it more to life.
1: And and perhaps a very special guest who was there. I I believe you have someone very close to you.
0: Yes, my lovely wife. It was her first show. So we'll see if we uh, can
1: coax her on the show. I
0: think we can do that.
1: Now that we come to the end of the show, we've also come to the end of the year 2021. And we do want to take the time to wish everyone a very healthy and happy new year. Wishing you lots of joy, love and success in 2022 when hopefully the, the world is going to be a better place than it was in 2020 and 2021.
0: And here's to a here's to a Springsteen tour in 2022.
1: I hope and they can make that work.
0: And if that can't happen, then let's have tracks, too. Or both. I'm, I'm going to go for both. How about that?
1: <laughs> well, both would be great. How many episodes yeah. are we going to do when Tracks 2 comes out?
0: How many discs are there going to be? And that's the number of episodes we're going to do on <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> Considering we once did hear that it could be 10 discs, that would be a lot of episodes. But hey well, it would I be guess
0: fun. If, in the case of 10 discs, then maybe we'll do uh, two two or three discs per episode. And still, it's, it should be a lot to discuss. And I hope it happens this year. Finally. Fourth year is the charm, right?
1: Yes. So, and with that, let's go to the end and our usual spiel. None But The Brave is a presentation of Bull Market Entertainment and a part of Evergreen Podcasts. If you wish to reach out to us, find us on Twitter at Podcast or on the web at Podcast.com.
0: So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean and saying thanks to Ken Rosenthal for joining us tonight. And thanks to David Hill for the hookup. And uh, we'll see you further on up the road in 2022.
2: Have much.